Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. As we're talking about the way, I got to thinking about the fact that many people are searching for a way. Many people that don't know Christ, many people without the scriptures simply are going through life trying to come up with a way to get through life. And when tragedy strikes, their minds get scrambled shortly, and then they get back to their normal, regularly scheduled programming. But these questions, they haunt us. Why are we here? Does anything, does anyone, does any of it even matter? Does my life have purpose and meaning? These are things that people have at the the back of their mind all the time, and then once in a while, they'll allow themselves to entertain. But in searching around, I searched around this week for articles, and I said, you know, I wonder, I wonder what's out there right now answering some of these questions. And, and in one of those questions, it had to do with the, uh, finding, finding meaning for your life. And I, I stumbled across this article I thought really sums it up pretty well, and it was uh, aptly entitled expertenough.com. So you can go there, I guess, for some great self-help. But expertenough.com has this great article, Five Ways to Find Meaning in Your Life. And I thought, well, this will be good. They're expert enough. They should be able to help. And uh, so I looked at this article, and and this this was the summary of the five things this article said we should do to have meaning in your life. Now, remember, you might look at this and you might say, oh, that's silly or whatever. This is what people go to in society without a foundation of what life's about and where we're going. Does all this make sense? Without any foundation, this is the kind of stuff that passes for for real uh, scholarship, real article, real journalism about the meaning of life. Five ways to find meaning in your life. One, stop playing by the rules. Stop playing by the rules. There you go. It helps you find meaning in life, right? Uh, When you're in jail. So stop playing by the rules. The point of that was that, hey, sometimes our, our meaning is found in other people and they're trying to enforce their way on you. And so stop listening to other people. You just do what you want to have meaning. Step two, step out of your comfort zone. Step out of your comfort zone. All right, you could find meaning in life, I guess, if, if, if the main point is to be uncomfortable. Number three, find your joy. Find your joy, however you define it. Just, just meaning of life comes by finding your joy and stepping out of comfort zone, playing by nobody's rules. Meaning is happening. I don't get it at all. Listen to your intuition. No matter how old you are, no matter what experience you have, no matter what you've done before to get you in this spot, just listen to your intuition. Whatever you feel, if it feels good, do it. And lastly, I'm still looking for what, where meaning comes from, but lastly, appreciate the individual moments. And with that, we would all say, ah. You should appreciate individual moments. You should have joy in life. These, these things in and of themselves, they're not, they're not terrible, horrible uh, advice. Even the idea of don't play by other people's rules, meaning like figure out your situation. But none of this provides meaning. And the world is, is looking for meaning. The world is looking for purpose. When we don't know the correct way, we'll invent a way. When we don't know the correct way, we'll invent a way. We'll just make up stuff in order to try to find meaning. I was thinking about not knowing the correct way, and I remember when my daughter was younger, and she 
she jammed a piece of bologna into my computer hard drive. And I was like, that's not how you do it. But for her, she wanted it to be like a toaster oven. So the, the, the CD got the, the CD drive, the hard drive, it just got the best of it. But I thought about some other things. Did you know that most of us peel a banana wrong? We peel a banana. The top end, most of us mash in the banana. Like the top quarter of your banana is destroyed because you're grabbing the top stem and bending it down. But like not long ago, a couple of years ago, I was, I was that many years old when I found out that if you pinch the bottom of the banana and pull, the whole banana stays free. And guess what? You've got a handle. There you go. Been doing it wrong. Aluminum foil, I, I, was, I, I was reading on things we do wrong. Aluminum foil, how many of you ever at, at barbecue, you yank out the aluminum foil to go ahead and throw it on the grill or something, and the whole aluminum foil tube comes out, right? Are you with me? Are you with me? Yeah, did you know you can just push in the sides of the box and it holds the aluminum foil? You guys are too smart. Some of you are like, Pastor, come on. Like, come on, man. I learned that when I was 12. But yeah, you can all deal with them falling instead of, instead of stumbling all over the yard. Uh, Chinese takeout boxes. Have you seen this one? They break down to become plates. <laughs> Who knew? I saw the other day one, uh, the Chick-fil-A nugget box has a hole in it where you can put your straw through the middle. How cool is that? You guys don't think it's as cool as I do. Because then you can drive. <laughs> this is great, right? Because then you can drive your car, eat a nugget, and drink the tea without ever having to touch anything. <laughs> We're doing life wrong. I read, I don't know how true this is. Uh, you who are, are great uh, culinary experts can tell me the truth on this one. But uh, spaghetti, uh, you know, getting a portion size right. So apparently the ladle that you use for spaghetti has a hole in the center that was designed to be a one-person portion hole. So you put the dry noodles through, and however many that shakes out is supposed to be a portion size. Didn't know. Didn't know. <laughs> but we invent ways. We use all of these instruments. We use all these tools. And many times we use them against the way that they were designed. Because if you don't know the way, you'll end up making up a way. If you don't know the way, you'll make up a way. And in life, many of us, we throw out the instructions for uh, the, the new gadget we get or the computer we get. We throw out the instructions right away and we just start headlong into using it. And in life, we've been doing that with everything. We've been doing that with relationships. We've been doing that with, with neighbors and community. We've been doing that with our faith. We just kind of throw out the instructions. And so today, as we talk about the way, if we don't know a way and we say, listen, I want to be connected. I'm not here, pastor, at the church just to, to, to float through life. I'm here to kind of learn how to be connected to the way, the way being Jesus. And so how do I do it? If we don't know a way, then we'll create a way. We'll make up a way. And so I want to encourage you guys to, I want to encourage me today to say, you know what? Let's get to know the way. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we studied a few weeks ago. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe what? 
all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus told us that disciples will make disciples. That when you become a Christ follower, you're all automatically, part of your duty, part of your job is to replicate or reproduce that newness of faith in someone else. And as you grow in faith, all you have to be is a half a step ahead of someone else in faith to be able to lead them along. So if you've learned something, you have something to share. But if you don't know a way, you'll make up a way. And so today what we're doing is saying, Lord, what can we do? Teach us the way. As we look in the scripture, Psalm 119 gives some guidance for today's message. The way is through the word. The way is through the word. Psalm 119 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. You see, the, the, the scriptures reveal over and over and over again that God did not just spin the world and walk away and say, good luck. But rather, God gave us instruction. And here in the Old Testament book of the Psalms, you have David writing this, and he says, you know what? Uh, I, I, I know that there is a way to be followed. I know that you've set out a plan. You've charted a course. You've laid it all out for me. And so as a result, I want to follow your way. I don't want to just make it up. Can you imagine if, if somebody joined a sports team over at Towson University and they got on the team and they got the outfit and they got the gear and they looked good, maybe they lifted some weights, but then they get out there on the field or the court and they just start making up their own rules. They just start running one way when the team's going the other. They just start running off to the sidelines. They just start doing backflips in the middle of the competition. You would look and you would just say, what are you doing? You've lost your mind. There's a way to play the game. David in Psalm 119, he says, you know what? There is a way to play this game called life. There is a way to live this thing called life. And you, my God, have a, he calls them a righteous set of rules. You know, rules are really only bad when they're unrighteous. We don't, we don't want to be controlled by things that don't make sense. We don't want to be limited by things that are trying to box us in. And, and we, we get antagonistic when it comes to unrighteous rulemaking. When somebody comes along and just starts to speak into your life and tell you what to do, and you and I, we all, we give them the Heisman. We do the pushback, and we say, no, I want none of that. But what if that there are some rules that are righteous? What if the designer of the game, what if the, the God of the universe said, you know what? I'm going to lay out for you the way to have joy, the way to feel complete, the way to be full inside of this world. And I'm going to lay those out. And those are my righteous rules. Those are my precepts. Those are my testimonies. This is the way I want you to do this thing. This is the way I want you to live. What if that was the story? As we know, you come to church and you understand that is the story. But the question is, how often? How often do we consult the manual? We say that we want the way. We say that we want to be connected to God. And I have too many people over and over and over that will just come to me in, in confession and be honest. They're just like, Pastor, I, I just haven't felt close to God in I don't know how long. 
And inevitably, inevitably, I'll, I'll, I'll say, listen, if you're trying to get to the way, you've got to dig into the Word. If you're trying to get to the way, you've got to dig into the Word. But how many of us will dig into the Word? How many of us spend very much time in the Word? Walking through Psalm 119 again. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. The way to following God with joy is through following his word with joy. The way to following God with joy is to follow his word with joy. To look into the scriptures and just say, Lord, you, you designed this whole thing. How is it to run? How am I to run? How am I to care for my neighbor? How am I to love well? How am I to serve? What do I do with this stuff you give me? What do I do with my time? How do I use this thing called the tongue? And over and over and over in all these aspects of life, the scripture reveals that God has laid out a strategy, an approach, a righteous set of rules that says, this is how I want you to go about doing it. And you and I, we have a choice every single day when we wake up. We wake up and we say, Lord, I desire to follow your righteous rules. I desire to follow your precepts. I desire to walk in the way. Or we say, well, I desire to do things my way. I desire to talk to people how I want to talk to them. I desire to, to cut people off and disregard others. I, I desire to just get all I can out of somebody. That's what I desire. And so that's what I'm going to do today. And every single day you wake up and you step one step closer towards following God and his path for your life, or you step one, towards, uh, one step more towards selfishness. And every single day we get an opportunity. We become more generous and loving and caring or we become more self-indulgent and driven by our own needs and wants and desires. But what is the way? If we really want to be connected to Christ, we've got to be connected to his word. If you want to find joy in Christ, you have to find joy in his word. The scripture says God's word is a lamp and a light. And as I told you before, we don't actually see objects. We see the reflection of the light off of objects. The scripture is clear to us that this world has a lot more to be illuminated than we realize. We walk through this world and we deal with a relational conflict and we call it a relational conflict. We just say, hey, I've got a problem with them. They've got a problem with me and that's all that's here. And so you get mad and you get ticked off and you get frustrated by a certain situation or a certain person and you don't even realize that there's something else at play. The scripture says that, that his word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, meaning it makes visible the thing that would be invisible without it. And so how many of us, when we don't go and seek the Lord and we don't seek the word over the topic or over the person or over the issue, when we don't seek the word and we say, no, no, I'm going to handle this my way. I'm going to do it like I want to do it. What we are inherently saying is we're reminding God that we want to be God. And those of us that know the scriptures, those of us that felt God's hand on our lives before, and for us to not seek the Lord and not seek his will over it, it is double jeopardy for us. We know better. This isn't a message about what the world needs to do and what those people, no, no, no. This is us every day. And the scripture says that your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. You light up parts that I can't even see. But what if you don't turn on the lamp? What if you don't turn on the light? What if you choose to walk around and just continually stumble and stumble and stumble and stub your toe and bang your knees? And, and after, and this, every time people see you, you're screaming about something. 
Because you've chosen to say, I don't need the word of God. I don't need God to light the path for me. But David said, you know what? No, I made a commitment to follow you. I made a commitment to follow you. And and to follow you, you're going to give me the light that I need to live this life. He says, life's hard sometimes, but you're going to show me what it's about. Ephesians 6 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers all over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand the evil day and having done all you can to stand. Ephesians 6. It just says, listen, God says, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. It illuminates stuff that I can't see. But if I'm not going to approach your word, and if I'm not going to use your word to try to understand what is there, then I'm going to just walk through life stumbling and bumbling and banging my knees and crying about how God is not for me. Why am I going through this or that? Why am I dealing with these struggles? If I'm choosing, the scripture says, you know what? There's another level to this. And that level is spiritual. You don't just live in a a flesh-driven world. You don't just live in a physical world. We live in a spiritual world. Many of us, do you realize, many of us, we want all of the niceties that come with the spiritual world. We say, you know what? What I want is I want my soul to be saved. And I understand that when I pass away, my body's going to be buried. But man, I want to go to heaven. So what we're acknowledging is, is that this world is not simply physical. We're acknowledging that by the desire that we want to go to heaven, the desire that we believe in in God that we can't see with our eyes. We're acknowledging this this two-level world that we live in, that there's a physical sense and there's a spiritual, and not everything that goes on is just physical. A lot of times you're dealing with spiritual matters. But if we won't illuminate the paths and the discussions and the people and the situations that we're in and the relationships and the boyfriends and girlfriends and, and teachers and professors, if we won't illuminate what is going on under God's word and turn on the light, we're going to always think that we're dealing in the flesh. We're going to always think that we're dealing in the flesh. When the shootings happen in Baltimore, if all we're thinking is, Oh, yeah, turf, money, drugs, bang, bang, people die. You're just thinking of it in the flesh. What is going on spiritually? What is going on generationally, spiritually for for our young people? What is going on when, when, when there's nobody to pray with and churches that get boarded up or closed and you've got everybody on the corner saying that they're a preacher, but then they're doing all kinds of dirt. What is going on spiritually? And so we ask God, God, through your word, show us right from wrong. Through your word, show us your precepts. Through your word, help us to see clearly what is good and what is bad and what is right and what is wrong. Help us to understand because otherwise all we got left is the physical and the natural. And the world who doesn't seek the scripture, doesn't know the Lord, doesn't look for this other plane of living, they just go, Yep, a lot of power that church is, a lot of power Christianity is. We need to be the ones that say, no, 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 there's another level here. There's another level here. He said, I've sworn an oath and I confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Do you know most of us have sworn an oath to follow God? When you got in the baptismal water, you said, this is me without Christ. 
And when you were buried in baptismal water, you said, I'm identifying with the death of Christ so that when I'm raised, I'm raised to walk a new life in Jesus Christ. You swore a public oath. You said, I will follow Jesus the rest of my life. But then in the small things and the everyday things, how often do we consult the scriptures and follow Jesus? How often do we look and say, you know what? I do need to base my life on the word of God. Otherwise, where do we get it? I, th I find it funny when people choose to disregard parts of the scriptures. It's just interesting. Where do we stop? Because if I get to just cut a page out and cut a page out and mark over a page I don't like and it makes me uncomfortable, if I get to do that and have this squishy Christianity, guess who designed the Bible at that point? Me. I became my own Bible designer. You think I could get a TV show? Bible designer with Tolly. I don't dress well enough. But, but we don't need to be Bible designers. We don't need a faith that we get to manipulate and change. And by the way, the only reason that we know heaven and hell, God and Satan and all, it's all from the scriptures. So how do we get to take parts of it and then just dump other parts, the parts that we don't like because we don't want to grow up? Psalm 119, 107 says, I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. He says, David says, I'm severely afflicted. The way of life is following the path of Christ. The way of life is following the path of Christ. Oftentimes, religion puts up walls where Jesus made a path. But when you follow the path of Jesus, the, the scriptures, Jesus says, who is going to follow me that's not going to endure what I've endured? And we look and we read and we go, what did Jesus go through? Jesus was spat upon. He had his beard pulled out. He was stabbed up on the cross. He was hung on a Roman executioner's cross for doing nothing wrong. He was loving people and caring for people. He healed the sick, fed the poor, fed the hungry, put clothes on the naked. This is what Jesus did. And he got killed for it. And you and I, as followers of that Jesus, we believe that our life is going to be better off. And if it's not better off, somehow we did something wrong. The early church was persecuted. The early church was, was severely afflicted. Paul himself was severely afflicted. Nearly all of the apostles were killed for their testimonies of faith in Jesus. This is why you've got to run away from false teachers that are preaching a prosperity message that says, you know what, as long as you're following God and you've got a strong faith, everything's going to work out. That's complete and utter nonsense. You, you've got to, when you follow Jesus, you don't follow Jesus and say, hey, I'm in so long as the money's good. I'm in so long as I'm winning. I'm on the team so long as we're the champs all the time. That's the only way I'm on the team, Jesus. But if, if I ever have to go through hardship, I'm out. If I ever have to wrestle with my flesh, I'm gone. If I ever have to have somebody near me that, that passes away, that dies, ugh. Even though I know everyone's going to die, I'm going to get mad at God over the next chance. And we got to look and we got to realize, no, no, no. It's going to be following the path of Christ. And Christ's path ultimately ended up at an executioner's cross. So life, guess what? It's going to be hard. There's going to be times when it's hard. There's going to be times when you need a helmet. And you just got to realize that's the way it goes. I, I, I'm not going to get through life unscathed. So what, did it, what does it mean? What's my next option? Your next option is, if you're not going to get through this life unscathed, 
You've got to learn how to um, build up strength for the hard time. Because you can't wait until you're in the middle of a trial to all of a sudden build faith. It's in the middle of the trial that you get revealed to you pretty evidently how far you are in your faith. But many of us, when life is good, we're lackadaisical when it comes to growing. We're lackadaisical when it comes to serving. We're lackadaisical when it comes to giving. We're lackadaisical when it comes to caring about something outside of our own agenda. And as a result, when all of life hits, we look around and we say, man, what have I built? What have I built? My health can take all of that away. A tragedy can take all of that away. But look at what Paul said. This is the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He, he, he had something to say about this idea when David writes, I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. He didn't just say, give me life. He said, give me life according to your word. This was, we got David in the Old Testament. We got Paul in the New Testament. Look what Paul says. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews. This is 1 Corinthians 11. You can write it down. It's not on the screen. 1 Corinthians 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews. 40 lashes minus one. 39 lashes times five is how many times he got whipped. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times, I, and that doesn't mean, no, not that kind of stone. Some of y'all got to tell you that because you're, you're coming into the Lord Jesus these days. All right? No, with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers and danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from frost brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often I went without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me, the anxiety for all of the churches. Who is weak? And I'm not weak. Who is made to fall that I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I'll boast in the things that show my weaknesses. Who wants to sign up for that? That Christianity, like you're in. You're like, put, put me in, coach. I'll take beatings. I'll take starvation. I'll take struggling along. I'll take trying to stay alive and care about all these other people who may or may not even care about me. That, my friends, is the Christian life. And this is when David looks back in, in, in Psalm 119. He says, Lord, I'm ensnared everywhere, but give me life according to your word. I don't want life according to what people try to sell me. I don't want the infomercial type of, of Christianity. You know what I mean by that? Late at night, your eyes are getting droopy. You're watching TV, and you start buying stuff that you have no business bringing into your home. Why? Because they made this commercial and they're like, you need this. Your, your teeth will be just, just white as a cloud. And it's just like, that's weird. There's like sparkles jumping off the man's face. Okay, I'll, I'm in. Like, we don't need this Christianity that, that tells us that everything's always going to be awesome. That's not what you need. What you need is life's hard. How do I have faith in the midst of tragedy? How do I have faith in the midst of sorrow? How do I have faith? How do I grow up a little bit and become a man or woman of God worthy of this thing called Christianity? But David says, you know what, Lord? What I really want is revival according to your word. I want life in my bones according to your word. Many of us, we're, we're still eating ice cream and lollipops when it comes to Christianity. And as a result, we're wondering why our bones aren't getting strong. We're wondering why we can't lift more problems than we used to lift. We're wondering why when everybody starts to go crazy, so do we. 
We're like, man, where's the steady? Where's the, where's, where's the foundational faith? Where's this thing that makes it something? Well, you got to eat some meat. You got to eat some protein. You've got to do something different. You can't just go through life. The scripture is, is your word, your nourishment. Jesus said, man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How many of us are seeking the way, but we're not seeking his word? We're not growing up. The way up is down. Philippians 2.3 says this, Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. The way up is down. He finishes up. He says, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are there for the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. The way to following Christ in the big things begins by following him in the small things. The way to following Christ in the big things. You don't just wake up and become a dynamic Christ follower. You realize some things. You realize that life is fragile. David said, you know what? I hold in my life, I hold in my hands my life continually. Do you realize that all of us just about are, are going to hold our lives in our hands? It's called a steering wheel. And you're going to leave here and you're going to put your hand on the steering wheel and you're going to commute to some distance. And it's not only your vehicle that could destroy you, it's also every other vehicle on the road. And whether or not they just got their learner's permit, whether or not they're suspended, whether or not they have alcohol in their system, you put yourself and your life in your hands every day. And the reality, because our, the reason our faith is so shallow, the reason our faith is often so small and minuscule is because we don't consider eternity very often. We don't think about the fact that today could be it. Like, I can't control a driver coming through a red light. But, but David said, you know what helps me to love God and his word? You know what helps me to dive in and make this thing real? He says, I hold my, my, my life in my hands continually. David says, I, I realize that each day things could go wrong for me. And so I'm this close to eternity. One of the tragedies of our heart is that we're able to put eternity out of mind. But David said, no, like I'm within steps. My um, grandfather was taken to hospice. He's um, got cancer all over his body, and they just discovered it. And so he's, he's in hospice care as of this week. The one thing that he, he told the nurses was he said, it's okay. He said, before, I might not have been okay. But I've met Jesus. My grandson's a pastor. And I know who Jesus is. And I'm ready. My friends, you don't have to wait until hospice for eternity to be imminent for you. You can, through the power of God's word, grab a hold of eternity just as real 
as if it's the day you're about to go. And when you do that, here's what I promise. You will not spend your time debating whether or not you're going to obey God. You're not going to spend your time trying to figure out a way to not do what God's called you to do. What you're going to do is you're going to say eternity is present. Eternity is here. Eternity is now. And, and there are people that are literally dying and going to hell without God. And we need to be able to give them the life-giving message of hope in Jesus. I've got news for you. The kids that are selling drugs and the kids that are firing guns at them, they are not thinking about the fact that there is a loving God who loves them right now and wants them in his family family and has a home for them forever. That's not a top of mind issue. The lady who's popping pills secretly out here in the suburbs, that, that's not a top of mind issue. The person that's cheating on their mate, it's not a, eternity's not a top of mind issue. And as a result, if you want to follow the way, you've got to do it through his word. His word brings alive and illuminates all of the spiritual realms that are all around you. It literally brings eternity into view for you. The way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is not to check religious boxes, to follow religious rules, and to keep your heart distant from God. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is through his word. In the beginning, there was God. And in the beginning was the word of God. And the word was God. And the word was with God from the beginning. And not a thing was created except through that word. When, when God breathed life into Adam, the language that's used there is the same thing. The breath, the word of God. The words of God are the equivalent of the life that comes from God. And you can choose to ignore the words of God and try to make it up on your own, hashtag add church. Or you could say, you know what? No, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And your word illuminates for me all of the spiritual elements that are all around. Your word brings eternity into view. And so if I'm going to get a hold of Christ, I need to get a hold of his word. And my friends, no matter how long you've been a Christ follower, every one of us, could upgrade our scripture game. Every one of us could upgrade our time with God. Every one of us could get more serious about diving into the word. If you believe that the way Christianity works is there's some dude up front that gets paid to teach you all of this, you are missing out on the greatest teacher you're ever going to meet. His name is the Holy Spirit. I want to beg you, implore you, call you, plead with you. Don't make life about rules. Don't make life without rules. Find a way to meet the righteous rule giver. The one who designed the game to be played. And the one who will tell you how to win. There are too many of us Christ followers. Spiritually, we look nothing like we do physically. Physically, American 
Christians, we look well fed. But the tragic reality is, is that most of us spiritually are anemic. We're on life support. We barely have enough energy to get out of the spiritual bed that we're in. And no different than I would say it to a person that's trying to recover, I would say you need to eat. You need to eat. Here, take this IV of a sermon. But in the long run, you've got to feed yourself. I want more for us. I want more for you. I'm not chiding you because I get anything out of it. I'm, I'm begging you to get a hold of God in a new way to where you, it comes alive again. And, and as, as the, David said, Lord, bring me alive through your word. Verse 